0: Just so many business podcasts out there, how can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we're about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts.
1: Good afternoon and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. This is going to be an important conversation. Put a lot of thought into the idea and the concept behind what this gentleman's book is all about, and it's at the forefront of what we all should be thinking about. Those of us that are on the leading edge of where business and technology is going have probably put a little more thought into this subject. But those of you who are listening who are perhaps in a more older school type of an organization yeah, this is a very important conversation that, and a subject matter that you ought to be thinking much more deeply about. So hopefully this conversation will spark some thinking, which is all good. So say hello to my guest. His name is Robert Tersek. He's the author of a new book called Vaporized, Solid Strategies for Success in a Dematerialized World. Robert, welcome to the show. Hey there. How you doing today, Todd? I'm doing great. Grateful for your time. I know you're a busy fellow, so I appreciate you stopping by and, and giving us some, some minutes. Uh, before we get into our conversation, Robert, about the book Vaporize, take a few quick seconds, inform the audience a bit about you and your background.
0: Oh, sure. Okay, great. Well, for the last 20 years, I've been launching digital media projects, and I've done it in all parts of the world. I've done it in Asia, North America, Latin America, and Europe. And I've done it in several different industries, mostly around the media business, but that's a pretty broad subject. So I've worked with TV companies and music companies, but I've also worked in the game industry, and I've done a lot of different things. Um, Most recently, I was working for Oprah Winfrey. I was a president of digital media. Some people don't realize this, but Oprah's got an enormous presence on the internet and a very thriving digital business. One of the things that we did there was we launched education programs at huge scale where hundreds of thousands of people could participate. And this is before we had the acronym MOOC. So we sort of predated that whole trend. So you could say that I've been launching digital media programs for just about every platform and in many different businesses for the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, so obviously you have a good grasp on the subject matter of your book. Now, Robert, I'll be perfectly frank. I interview an awful lot of business authors on this show who have written the latest book on technology and innovation and leadership development and sales and marketing. And I always lead off that conversation with an author on that subject with the question (laughs) that generally starts with, why did the world need another book on X? Yeah. Now, I can't ask you this question because the subject matter here is really apropos to where we are in the state of things and where we're going more importantly. And so I guess uh, how I would want to ask you a leading question here is you often said that what can be vaporized will be. So what do you mean by that? And and just to be sure the audience is real clear on what you mean by vaporized, uh, be sure that you give a definition of what that's all about.
0: Sure. That's a a good place to start because it's a funny word. I get that. The word vaporize sort of sounds like a science fiction movie. If you think of a a sci-fi movie where, you know, there's some space battle and they they point the ray gun at an object and they pull the trigger. Boom, a ray of light goes and then it just disintegrates that object and it's gone in a puff of smoke. And I know that's a funny metaphor, but I think that's actually what's happening. We're vaporizing things every single day. I mean, thousands of things, but you don't need a ray gun to do it. All you really need is a smartphone. You see what I'm saying? What I'm trying to say with this this book is that we're replacing physical things with digital information. And on one level, that's totally obvious, but on another level, it's kind of shocking. Let me explain what I mean. We talked a little bit about video recently. Just a moment ago, I told you I worked with the TV industry. And of course, today you have streaming media of all sorts, music and video, and you can get that on any device, any time of day, uh, any place you want to watch, any program you want to look at. And so that's a huge shift. And last week, we saw the impact of that on the TV industry. The pay TV industry is in the process of being dismantled. Because consumers are finding a perfectly adequate substitute on their tablets, on their smartphones, and then from there they can beam it to any device, including a television set. So what the vaporization process means is when we turn things into data or into information, it sure empowers the consumers to take on a completely different role. I call them an activated audience, and they get to decide when and where to consume, but they can also decide if they don't need to consume your product anymore. They can actually decide they don't need it anymore. And that's a gigantic issue that every company has got to be aware of because this trend's not limited to media. It's not limited to television or music. It extends to everything. What is Uber if not a way to vaporize car ownership? I had this debate with a client at Ford Motors. And it was a really interesting conversation because they noisily insisted that people still want to own cars. But if you look at the data... Millennials, certainly people under the age of 30, they're not as committed to owning a car. They look at it as kind of a waste of money. They gonna kind of spend 30000 bucks on a device that sits in the garage most of the time. Maybe I drive it two hours a day or four, about four hours max, most of the time it's just sitting there depreciating. I could probably put that money to use somewhere else. And so a whole group of people now is now getting accustomed to a new habit where they just don't need to own a car. They have an option. The option is they have an information service built into their phone that gives them transportation on demand. That's just one example. But we're starting to see this trend spread across a bunch of industries, medical equipment, healthcare, education, finance, you name it, across several different industries. We're actually vaporizing physical stuff. We're replacing
1: it with information on one hand, it's very, very exciting for me because I've embraced this new vaporized world if you if you will, and and it 's exciting to me now, but it's very spooky to a lot of other people yeah. and, but the other thing I want people to realize is that you 're probably more into this than you realize right i mean i was watching I was watching a movie it was called Parenthood. Everyone probably remembers it in the, the Ron Howard movie and there was a scene where a young couple goes to a photomat to get some printed copies of, of photographs, and of course they, naturally they get a surprise when they when they get them but the point is that doesn't exist anymore i remember when my mother would mail in a roll of film to kodak and we would be excited to, a month later when we got a, an envelope in the mail i mean it was a glorious day it was so exciting now it's such a yeah. different world now but that's not the only example we're talking about and that's that's media as, as you talk about uh, right talk about so it some... starts with media
0: todd That's you're, well, you're making exactly the right example those are the ones that most familiar to us right right so we don't have to buy a camera anymore because we got a camera built into our phone if you don't like the camera in your phone You can just go to the app store and download another one with the click of a button, and usually it's free. So we're replacing physical stuff like cameras, replacing film. You're absolutely right. The other thing you mentioned is instant gratification is a big part of it, and that's the whole name of the game in this mobile software world. How fast can I get you the thing you desire? How quickly can I do it? And can I bypass the store? Can I bypass the warehouse? Can I bypass a truck delivery system? Bypass UPS? If you can figure out a way to get it done with information instead of with a physical product, you're probably onto something. That where it gets crazy is where we start to extend this into other areas. So my book begins with like really obvious examples that everybody knows, you know, the stuff that's already on a phone. Most people have about 100 apps on their phone. We don't use them all that much. We usually have a set of apps that we use quite frequently, and then there's a bunch that we rarely use. But here's what we do do. Right about now, everybody's accustomed to the idea that no matter where you are, whatever circumstances you're in, no matter what situation you find yourself in, there's probably an app for it. You know how many apps there are in the iTunes store? There's... 1.3 million apps. That's 1.3 million things that used to be sold as a physical product in a store, a shrink wrap box that was on a shelf in a store. Now we just touch an icon on the phone and it downloads instantly. It's vapor. It comes to us through the air, just like vapor. So, this idea of information is vapor, information is atmosphere. It's always around us, it's always available. That's a big shift. But now, when you start to think about that applied to things like labor, like human labor, all of a sudden it does get a little scary, right? Because we're vaporizing labor. What is robotics and automation if it's not software replacing physical labor? But that's a scary thing for a whole bunch of people. We're not even having this conversation as a country yet. We need to have it.
1: Yeah, absolutely we do. We'll get into robotics in just a few minutes. Uh, before the break, I want to touch on one other subject. You mentioned Uber, which is, mm-hmm. ah, it's, just, it's such a cool company to, to follow and observe. And because and, I think I think uh, there's going to come a day where we're going to say, oh, my gosh, do you remember all the legal hassles that Uber had? Well, I think they're blazing a path for other organizations who won't have to fight that hard to become the Uber of whatever their industry is. And I'm sick of using (laughs) using that phrase. But but here's Uber, who's probably the most impactful car company in the world. They don't own one freaking car. You also have talked about Airbnb, which is probably the world's most impactful hotelier, and they don't own one piece of property. So talk about that. I mean, I'm in this bubble. I I spend my days talking to cool people like you. And so I feel like I'm, I'm in this bubble where all I talked about is the future, but there's a lot of people who aren't there yet and aren't thinking along those lines. And you can count me as one of those guys who wouldn't, I I may not get another car because in the lifestyle I have, I Uber it everywhere. And why would I not? Why would I not do this? So talk more about that. Certainly
0: when you travel, right? Why rent a car? If you go to a city, there's Uber in 300 cities around the world. So now you don't rent a car. You don't need to yeah, it has a real impact on that. Well, okay, so you're right. There's a kind of a leading edge, right? And if you're in that leading edge, then it's quite exciting. If you're not in that leading edge, this stuff can be kind of mystifying. You might wonder, what the heck is actually going on? Or, What's all the fuss around Uber about? The reason Uber is such an interesting company is that they are taking on this confrontation with Gusto. They have a term for it. They call it principle of confrontation. Other people call them not such flattering things because a lot of people don't like that company. I think they're the most misunderstood company in the world. I would agree. Do you want to summarize what Uber is doing, Uber is taking all the rules that we've learned in e-commerce, all the principles of e-commerce and online marketing and online sales, and they're applying them to the real world, and people don't like it. I'll give you an example. Surge pricing is probably the most controversial thing at Uber. You know, the, the funny thing about Uber is the customers love it, right? Their competitors hate it. The taxi companies really don't like it very much. But right. the customers who use Uber, you know people who use Uber all the time. They love it, right? right? It's a great service. I use it all the time. I think it's fantastic. It's fun. You get hooked on it. You expect it. You know, you, you, when it doesn't work, you're frustrated because you come to depend on it so much. So customers love it. But the one thing customers hate, it's surge pricing. Surge pricing is when there's so much demand that they don't have available cars. Now, in the old world, the taxis, if there was so much demand and there were no cars available, well, there were no taxis available. Tough luck, Charlie, you got to walk. Like, there was no option, right? I've had that situation in New York and other cities where, you know, if it starts raining and it's around rush hour, all the cabs are gone and you just sort of deal with it. You walk, you take the subway, you figure out some alternative plan. Uber's doing something different. They created dynamic pricing. Now, dynamic pricing is available on the Internet all the time. Every time you shop at Amazon, you're experiencing dynamic pricing. You might not be aware of it, but dynamic pricing is how they manage demand on the Internet. So the price goes up if there's a lot of demand, and suddenly more supply magically becomes available. These are simple rules of economics. In the real world, it's hard to do that because you can't just manufacture supply to meet variable demand. But Uber's trying to do that, and the way they do it is they say, okay, There are drivers who are at home who are not driving right now, and there's a surge in demand. Let's crank the price up until drivers start to drive. How can we get more cars on the road to meet that demand? So they say to you as a customer, hey, will you pay, you know, one and a half times the normal rate? Some people say yes. Boom, the message goes out. There's some drivers at home. They go, well, for that price, sure, I'll start driving, right? Some drivers are still at home, so the price goes up to twofold, threefold. Now, for some consumers, that starts to feel like a gouge, and they start to, to get pretty resentful. But that's just the fact that they, they don't understand what's happening. The alternative to surge pricing isn't lower prices. It's no cars at all, and now you're walking. <laughs> so uh, what Uber's trying to do is apply Internet pricing to the real world. It's a fascinating experiment. It's not a guarantee that it's going to work. You know, they have a lot of challenges as a business. But I think when you look at Uber, what you're trying to do is say, if you could redo the world today, knowing that everybody's got a smartphone and we're all familiar with e-commerce, How would you rewrite the rules of economics in the world around us? That's what makes Uber such a fascinating, provocative, and even challenging company.
1: Yeah, no, it is fascinating to watch. And I think a key point you said there, and I hope the audience picked up on it, was you did not necessarily say that Uber was disrupting a a traditional organization like the taxi companies. They did that. They're doing that, yes. But you also said they're disrupting the current game of online commerce and digital marketing. So yeah, this idea of vaporization is even more deep than, than people even realize. All right. Robert Tersek will return after this short break. We'll be right back.
0: This is Wes Moss, former host of Atlanta Tech Edge on NBC in Atlanta. I'm here today, though, to talk to you about my new digital financial advisory firm, Wella, well as an old English word that means wealth. Several years ago, my team realized there were too many people who needed help with their financial strategy, but couldn't get the help they needed because they didn't reach the high investment minimums of many financial advisory firms. To answer this need, we developed Wella, a digital platform that allows us to help people just like you get free financial advice and tools to better manage their finances.
1: We also offer online investing and the ability to work with your own investment advisor with no minimums. Learn more at YourWella.com. That's Y-O-U-R-W-E-L-A.com. All right, I'm back with Robert Trisek author of the book, Vaporized, Solid Strategies for Success in a Dematerialized World. All right, Robert, so you mentioned robotics and artificial intelligence, uh, the top half of the show. Gosh, <laughs> the same thing as like a, a conversation around Uber. So exciting as to the possibilities with this stuff and how that's going to change the world. But again, very scary. Talk to me about that a bit. Sure thing.
0: Okay, so, you know, in the book, Vaporized, I'd start with some really simple examples that everybody knows, things like streaming music services and streaming video services. This is stuff we use every single day, so it's quite familiar to us. Where the concept gets a little bit strange is when I push it into new areas, and I tried in the book to extend it to as many different topics as I could, just to see how far can you go with this metaphor before it breaks. So here's a great question. What happens when you replace human beings, human labor? With software. Is that possible even? Well, of course it is, right? We've been doing that throughout the whole industrial revolution with machines. Now, if you can replace those machines with software, and increasingly we are, then all of a sudden you've vaporized labor. You've vaporized human labor. You've turned it into information. Now, that's a crazy concept when you start to think about how fast some of these internet businesses grow. You know, in the past, when we replaced human jobs with machines, typically we created new jobs. And often it was jobs to manage the machines or somehow that would liberate workers and, you know, allow them to work on higher value things. One of the things that we're experiencing right now is technological displacement or technological unemployment where the entire job category is wiped out. Example, if you go to Home Depot today, you'll notice that there's only two human beings doing checkout. So systematically, Home Depot across the country is replacing human checkout tellers with those self-service kiosks. And now you might say, well, hang on, that's not a robot. That's just me doing self-service checkup. But what's the thing you're interfacing with? It's a kiosk. Okay, it doesn't have arms and legs. It doesn't walk around like a robot from a movie does. But that is an automated system that replaces a human teller. And what's important about that is when they replace one job like that, they replace the entire category. And now Home Depot's competitors have to gear up and do the exact same thing. So now that job category is being eliminated systematically across the entire industry of home goods or do-it-yourself shops. If you think about it that way, you look and you go, well, that's actually kind of weird because in the past, if a company automated a job function, those workers could probably go across the street to a competitor and find a similar job. That's not happening now because of competition and the race to automate things, the race to replace human labor with vaporized information. What's happening is now those job categories are being eliminated across the board all at once. And so all the human tellers are going to find that there are no more jobs like that. And sad to say, that trend is going on at a rapid clip. It's hard to witness. It's hard to see because it happens in so many corners of the industry. But In my book, I quote Brian Arthur, who is a great economist. He's one of the first economists to talk about the information economy. And he pointed out that the automated, the invisible automated economy is growing at twice the rate of the regular economy. So even as our current economy is recovering and jobs are back and, you know, actually, surprisingly, all those jobs that were lost in 2008. We've regained them, but it took us six years to do that. In the meantime, the automated part of our economy is growing at twice the speed. So it's invisible. We don't see it, but it's out there and it's growing super fast. Uh, Most of those jobs that have been vaporized today are clerical jobs, repetitive labor type jobs, tasks that can easily be automated. Where artificial intelligence is going next is to things that are not so routine and not so easily automated. I would point to Watson as the great example. Everybody uses Watson as a great example of it. It's not really a full AI system. It's more like an expert system, but it's a step towards an artificial intelligence. What's interesting about Watson is right after it beat the Jeopardy uh, game, the Jeopardy champions, people are like, wow, a, a robot that can actually play Jeopardy. That's pretty impressive. But what else can it do? Well, they applied it to medical knowledge, and now they're using Watson with medical clinics. Around the world, they started out in oncology, but now they've, now they've extended it to about 11 different medical fields where the robot is actually an adjunct to the doctor. So the doctor comes in to do a diagnosis, then he checks with Watson, and Watson helps him make a better diagnosis, about 50% better. So it's a really significant gain in accuracy of diagnosis. It's a real gain. Well, okay, that's the first step. The next step, I can tell you where the next step is easy to predict. The next step is a smartphone app where you might feel like you have the flu, but you don't feel like going to the doctor's office because there's a bunch of sick people in the waiting room. Why should you go to the doctor's office and get exposed to that? You'll have an app in your phone and the app in your phone will be a version of Watson, Artificial Intelligence on Demand that specializes in medical diagnosis and it will ask you a series of questions and at the end of that interview, it will either divert you to a live video of a doctor. Or it may even give you a diagnosis on the spot. It may say that you're you're not you're well, you're okay, you're not sick. Or it may say that you need to go see a doctor. So I think you're going to start to see this infiltrate our lives in some surprising places. And what comes next after doctors? Legal advice,
1: well, lawyers. The possibilities are endless. And you might be talking about a company called Bright MD, which is someone that I in fact interviewed yesterday, which mm-hmm. is going to completely disrupt that primary care physician routine. And they do the, exactly the things you were just talking about, and it's an online diagnosis on on your tablet or your smartphone where you you, you answer a series of questions, and there's a there's an algorithm that kind of moves you through a process and, and makes a diagnosis, or or if they determine there's a potentially bigger issue, then they divert you and, and you get the physical situation. But they also can will automatically direct uh, uh, prescriptions to your pharmacist. I mean, it's an amazing that, that's what I want people to really be thinking about here. Well, yeah, guys like you and I always talk about freaking Uber when we talk about this kind of thing, but that but that's and that's is certainly an exciting story to, to be paying attention to, but there's, I mean, that this just in healthcare alone, the possibilities with with this are game changing and world changing, and it's, I mean, it's extraordinarily exciting. Look, you and I could talk on this stuff for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> Let me ask you this quick question: to the person who's listening to this conversation, and they are that teller that that works at a store, and they may be replaced by a kiosk. Or in a similar situation, how do they keep themselves relevant? What are some things they should do to remain relevant and survive in this new vaporized world?
0: Sure. Okay. That's a super good question. And it's one I take very seriously because it's a matter of great concern. And we're not horsing around here. We're talking about people's careers and people's lives. It's a big, big, serious matter. The first thing to do is to ask yourself if the job that you do could be outsourced or done by a cheaper form of labor. And if the answer to that question is yes, then the chances are pretty good it's going to end up being done by a robot. Second question to ask yourself, who do you report to? Those Uber drivers all say they're happy to be working for themselves, they're self-employed and so forth. They're fooling themselves. They're not self-employed. They report to a boss. As much as they enjoy the freedom of driving the car at their own time and setting their own hours, the reality is the jobs are dispatched to them by a robot. So what Uber's vaporized isn't the driver. They vaporize the dispatcher. If you report to a robot, the odds of your job being replaced by a robot are much higher. So you have to think about the people at the level above you. Ultimately, those Uber drivers, everybody knows when Google cars and the other autonomous vehicles become a real thing, which might take five or 10 years, but that's clearly coming next, all of those Uber drivers are going to get replaced by a robot. But the telltale sign, the the leading sign is if you're reporting into a dispatch algorithm, that's effectively a robot version of a dispatcher, then chances are pretty good that job's ready to be robotized as well. So the first thing to do is to check and say, could my job be done by a robot? If it can be, you better find a new job. Second thing is, what are the skills that are less likely to be robotized? Well, when I say robot, I want you to understand that I'm talking about all forms of automation. Sometimes it's a mechanical robot, you know, with mechanical arms and legs. Sometimes it's a kiosk, like an automated teller or an ATM machine. Sometimes it's pure software, that just exists, and now increasingly we're going to see artificial intelligence in the cloud. So that's uh, artificial intelligence that's spread across a whole bunch of servers, and it's available on demand. So those are all forms of robotics, if you will, using the word broadly. I want you to understand I'm not just saying like a physical, mechanical robot. That's too narrow of a definition. So can your job be replaced by software is the real question. If you think it can be, then you need to up-reskill. What are the skills that robots can't do so well? Well, one of them is robots are pretty clumsy today. They're not great with uh, any kind of dexterity. So an example of a job that isn't going to get done by a robot anytime soon is a plumber. <laughs> you know, plumbers get yeah. paid 100 bucks an hour now, right? They get, that's a pretty good job, actually. Now, I know people aren't going to go from an office job to being a plumber necessarily, but there's also things like being a cook. You know, there are jobs that require great manual dexterity, great skill, great inventiveness, problem-solving skills, the ability to assess a problem on the spot and then formulate a solution, improvise a solution, those are all things that robots can't do or software can't do very well. It's very rule-based. It's very systematic. It deals with things that are routine and repeatable. And so anytime your job involves spontaneity, free thinking, independent judgment, decision-making, you're less likely to be replaced by a robot in the near future. So if your job involves spontaneity and judgment and thinking about things on your feet, then you're probably in a good spot. Now, here's the tricky part. How do you determine that, right? A lot of people don't feel like they're at, the, they're at cause. Yet. They're, you know, a lot of people feel like they're on the receiving end of these changes. So there, you really need to evaluate what skills do you bring to the marketplace. And if all you bring is labor, that's not enough. That's not enough. Those jobs are going to get replaced. That's going to happen. I hate to say it, but it's true. If you work on a production line, your job's going to get done by a robot. Today, if you walk in an auto plant, there's two parts of the auto plant, the part where they make the chassis and the part where they make the interior of the car. The body shop, the part where they make the body of the car, that's all done by robots now. Those jobs, have, the human parts of those jobs, have been dwindling fast, and that's been going on for 20 years. Now, if you go in the other part where they do the interior, you know, where they're sewing the leather seats and so forth, that's all done by human beings still. So the parts that people touch when they drive, those are typically done by people. About 30 or 40 years ago, Alvin Toffler, who wrote a number of great books, he said, The more high tech we get, the more high touch we get. So the more high tech, society becomes, the more high-touch we want to become. And I think that's a really good phrase to go back to at this time, to think about it. The more we replace stuff with automation and software, well, that's good for everybody because it makes products cheaper. It makes us all richer, ultimately. But where are our jobs going to be? Where are we going to go to? I think we're going to go upscale to more high-touch activities, more human-touch activities. That might be in the caring arts, physical healing, education, anything where you're taking care of other people. We're going to want humans to do that, not a robot. Any place like artisanry in craft, it's not just plumbing, it can also be carpentry, it can be repairs that are done on your house, that's going to be done by human beings because we need that human being to have intelligence to think on his feet. Any place where leadership is required, we have to think twice about what happens next and maybe go in a different direction. Robots can't do that right now. Human beings do that really, really well. So I see rich opportunity ahead for people, but we are all accountable to ourselves. We have to build our own careers. You can't wait for someone to teach you how to do this.
1: Robert, through the history of man, there's been people complaining about the advance of technology and saying it's going to replace something or replace this, replace that. And we survived. We're still yeah. we're still thriving as a civilization. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I'm excited about the possibility. But I, think, I think it's going to create more creative people, which and then with the long tail of the Internet, there's always going to be a niche market for whatever creative thing that you do. So yeah. you really do have to be very thoughtful about your future if you're in one of those places. By the way, quick comment it's no longer a Google car it's going to be an alphabet car, so you got to get your you got to get your you got to get your uh, labeling correct there but i'm I'm optimistic I think it's very exciting about where this can go and I almost i don't want i don't know if I, how I should correctly phrase this, but I, I'm excited this is happening because I think it's going to force people to get out of that assembly line mentality and to use their darn heads and be more creative and more thoughtful. I think that's a, I think that's a good trend for us to go. We couldn't talk about this subject about vaporization without this one final conversation around what's going to happen to retail? Because, I mean, you talk about yeah. the example of, of Home Depot and how the, you know, you, you no longer check out with a human being. Well, there's going to come a day when there's not going to be a Home Depot anymore because we're just going to, we're going to have the thing delivered to us by a drone. I mean, talk about that a little bit. And I mean, the Amazon. Okay, great.
0: But you, you just nailed it. So that's true. So the, if, if it could be replaced by software, it's going to happen, right? So if you could deliver it by drone, It can happen. I I live in the hills in Hollywood. There's a street right below uh, down in the canyon, and I can envision a time not too far in the future where pizza delivery drones are going by, especially when there's a football game. And you'll imagine all day long, little helicopters be flying up and down that street with pizzas. As crazy as that sounds, remember, a few years ago, it was crazy to think you could get the Internet on a phone. A few years before that, it was crazy to think you could get video on a computer. So as crazy as these ideas sound, you have to know two things. People said that about every previous innovation, and it never stopped anyone else who was working on it. And secondly, someone's working on that idea right now. If you can think of it, if you can conceive of it, odds are very good there's a venture finance company out there or a big company like Google Alphabet that's working on it right now. They're trying to solve that problem. So I think if you're in a traditional business like retail, what you have to do is say, what can I do to confront this? And there is a lot you can do. So a few years back, retailers were getting clobbered by the internet, right? E-commerce, it's still pretty small. In the United States, e-commerce is about 10% of our retail. So it's not that huge relative to physical uh, retail. However, margins are getting crushed because they're competing at these companies that don't have any physical overhead. They don't have to have a store. They don't have any clerks on the floor. So their costs are so much lower, they they can cut corners on the pricing. They can chop the prices. And that puts pressure on margins. It makes it very hard for retailers to be profitable. That's a fact right now. It's easy for me to see that there's a following going to happen. First, if your idea is national, let's say you're really good at doing a business in your town, you run a retail business in your town, you better figure out how to scale it up to a regional or national level. Not everybody can do that. So if you can't find a way to scale up to national or regional level, then the next thing you have to figure out is how can you be the best in that town at that service? And if you can't be the best in that town, there's no room left for middle, mediocre solutions. The internet, because it's a giant switchboard, people always gravitate to the best version available. So if Amazon happens to be the best, easiest to deal with, richest inventory selection and so forth, then most people are going to gravitate to there. And indeed, that's the case in the United States. Most people shop, tend to shop at Amazon for things. It makes it really hard to be number two in any category if they're in your category. So I think if you're, if you're a medium-sized business and you're sort of a medium-quality provider, you're good enough. Well, that are, that is not going to really be a viable proposition in the future. You really need to rethink that if you have a physical presence, because you're going to be competing not only with these big box stores that are good enough and they have low enough prices, but you're also going to be competing against all these vaporized services that bring the product right to the home and you don't even have to leave. So it's a really big challenge. You know, Todd, let me offer this. Here's a thought. A lot of people, when I confront them with this, they'll concede on the front where any idea is already done, they already have that on their phone. The thing like, you know, the, the, the camera example and the streaming music example we gave you, they go, okay, fine, that happened. But it's never going to happen over here in this other area. And I say, well, there are people working on it right now. Like you gave me the example of the firm that's basically vaporizing medical doctors in the medical office, right? They're replacing that with a pure information app on your phone. Okay, so we can find examples where it's happening right now. My message to the reader is this. If you can think of it, if you can conceive of a way it's happening, you must understand that somebody else is already working on it, and they're going to get there eventually. They're going to find a way to deliver it cheaper, faster, better on a mobile phone, on a vaporized device, and replace that physical product. So it's incumbent on all of us to rethink all of our business processes and ask ourselves two questions. What part of my product consists of information, and how can I turn that product into an information service? And in the answer to
1: those two questions is your path forward. Absolutely. Stop whining about it and jump on and figure out how to do it. That's probably the simple message of the book. Awesome. Well, Robert, I hate to say it, it's been a fascinating conversation. Like I said, we could go on and on and on, but we're out of time for now. Uh, Before I let you go, how can people contact you should they have questions and where can they get a copy of Vaporized?
0: Super. Well, I'd be happy to hear from people. They can reach me at my website, which is com. There's two T's in the middle because it's com. And then secondly, the book is available for pre-order right now. It's called Vaporized, Solid Strategies for Success in a Dematerialized World. And it's by me, Robert Terzik, and it's on Amazon right now, so you can pre-order the book. Right now, they have a hardback up, and then in just a few weeks, we're going to have the uh, Kindle version available as well. In the middle of September, it'll be available in retail shops across the country, so you'll be able to buy it in a store near you. In about four weeks'
1: time. So wait a minute, there's going to be a hard copy of your book in in a <laughs> in a physical bookstore. All right. Now that's that seems to be uh you know, I don't know about that.
0: Yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny (laughs) situation. So here's the thing. People don't believe it if they don't have it tangibly. And so I decided I needed to make a book in physical form to get people to understand this idea of dematerialization. (laughs) There's definitely an element of irony there. And I get get it. It's not lost on me.
1: That's awesome. All right, Robert.
0: Uh, Thanks very much. I've enjoyed chatting with you today. This has been a lot of fun. It
1: has been a real pleasure, Robert. Again, that was Robert Tercik, the author of Vaporized, Solid Strategies for Success in a Dematerialized World. Robert, once again, great to have you. Thanks for stopping by. Cool. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that wraps this conversation. Again, on behalf of my guest, Robert Tersek, I am Todd Schneck. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business.